Here we've got a, you probably can't see that. That's modern Thessalonica. It's a big city. It's the second largest city in Greece, Thessaloniki or Salonika. Um, up in northern Greece, you can see there at the top of the Aegean, there's Thessaloni- Thessaloniki in modern. There's Mount Olympus here. You come down, Athens is down here. So we're in modern day Greece. There's still the city of Thessaloniki there, right up north in Greece, second biggest city, uh, a major trade and tourism city. Now, in New Testament times, when Paul wrote this letter, it was also a significant city. It was the capital of what they called the Roman area of Macedonia. It was a center for commerce and trade and politics, a big, important city. And Paul, the apostle, visited this, this city on his what we call his second missionary journey. He's traveling around the Mediterranean, the ancient Roman world, telling people about Jesus. And he preached in this city and actually a church started. He founded the church there. And Paul loved this church that he founded, which is not surprising if you put some effort in. It was, let's call this church Paul's baby because he started it. He wrote two letters to them and like Every parent, you can see in his letters, because this is his church, his baby, you can see his concern, you can see his joy over the church, you can see that actually he admonishes the church like a parent will often admonish their children more than other kids because they're my kids, my family. There's hope, I just want you to be mature, I want you to grow and I want you to enjoy the best of life in Christ. This church is Paul's baby, if you like. It's one of his members of his family. And I don't know if you've, if you've ever had children. At least it was like that, I think, with Anna and myself. It's like, wow, I, I kind of made this baby. It's kind of mine. And yet it is kind of yours. You're responsible. So Paul could say, look at what I did, look at my church, look at, look at my people, look at my family, they belong to me. But Paul never said that. He had parental concern for this family in a sense. But this church was never his church, it was always God's church. This was not his family, it is God's Family, because it's actually God's work and therefore it's ultimately God's responsibility because this church is God's creation, God's baby. Let me tell you about how this church started. Look, I know you can't see much of this, but do your best. See those red lines? That's Paul moving around the Mediterranean. Um, He's on his second missionary journey. He's got Silas and Timothy, protégés with him, helpers. And, and they have their plans as to what they're going to do. They're in Turkey, what we call Turkey or Asia Minor and the various areas of Asia Minor. They had their plans, but the Lord had others. Acts chapter 16. Let me read you from Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions travelled through the regions of Phrygia and Galatia. Here we are, there's Phrygia and Galatia, if you've got your really super-duper spectacles on. Here they are, travelling through those regions. Having been kept from the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Well, we're not talking about way over here. We're actually talking about, where's the province of Asia? Somewhere, this is somewhere down here somewhere, I'm pretty sure. What they called in those days Asia, the West. 
When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. Here they are, but oh, they tried to enter Bithynia, which is up here. But the Spirit of Jesus would not let them. We can't, we want to go and preach the gospel up here, but somehow we can't, we're not told how, except the Spirit of Jesus stopped them. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Here's Troas on the coast. They passed by Mysia and went to Troas on the coast there. During the night at Troas, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Here's Paul asleep having a vision from God saying, hey, come over to Macedonia, way, way north in what we would actually today call Macedonia, north of, actually north of modern Greek, Greece. After Paul had seen the vision, he got up ready and he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel even in Macedonia. So Paul says, oh, I'm not supposed to stay here. I can't go this way. I can't go that way. Oh, there's Asia there uh, on my map. I'm going to go over to Macedonia. God's taking Paul to Macedonia. It's God's call. Cross the Aegean, Paul, to Philippi. This is a big thing because like, you've got to go to Macedonia. Do you realise that you're going from Turkey to Greece? And we all know they're very different cultures today. Do you know back in those days they were very different cultures to go from what we literally call Asia to the West? There's the gap straight there. Boom. Still today, 2,000 years ago, it was the same. The move from Asia to the West from Asia, known as Turkey today, to Greece. Very different cultural influences, even though it was a big same Roman Empire and Greece had a big impact. So it was a big deal. Paul arrives in Philippi. I love my little red flasher. Paul arrives in Philippi, there. He has great success preaching the gospel. People here, they believe a church is formed, but it causes a stir, particularly amongst the Jews. So he's arrested. They beat him up. They put him in prison. And God acts to deliver him from prison in Philippi, and he's kicked out of the city. Oh, so Philippi was rough, and oh, we're on our way. Acts chapter 17. When Paul and his companions had passed through, so they kicked out of Philippi, when they had passed through Amphipolis, Amphipolis, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. So here they are, they're leaving Philippi, they're going through just those two there and they arrive just here. So they're not doing much travel in Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on so two talking to the Jews and on three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the scriptures. I'm telling you that Jesus is the Messiah. Explain what it says it here, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you, he is the Messiah. He's saying in this synagogue, in this city. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks, in other words, non-Jews, who happened to go to the synagogue, and quite a few prominent women. Success, it would seem, Succeed in Thessalonica, but you know, some Jews heard who didn't like this. Again, they started trouble, a riot. The people who Paul was staying with, they were arrested. <coughs> it was turning into a stir. <coughs> Excuse me. And so we read 
But when they did not find Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials. This right. These men have caused trouble all over the world and they've now come here. That's Paul and Silas. <clears throat> and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are, what are they doing? They are defying Caesar's decrees and saying there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. You can't say that. And they made Jason and the others post bond and they let them go. So again, Paul has to leave Thessalonica in a hurry. He hasn't been there very long at all. He's just been in the synagogue preaching to Jews and a few God-fearing Greeks. The world won. Evil triumphed. Sometimes it feels that the world wins, doesn't it? And evil triumphs. And God's purposes get nowhere. And faithful mission work falls empty. I'm sure Natasha and Chewy find that on campus at times when they're put under pressure about where they can meet and what they can do from uni officials and whatever. The world wins. But you know what? The seed was sown. And a church was planted, a church did begin, because the gospel of Jesus took hold. And in fact, Thessalonica, thanks Vic, was, oh, it's for you. (laughs) (laughs) Under God's purposes, what Paul did in Thessalonica was really a great success. So Paul goes, leaves. He heads off, here we are, top of Greece, up in Macedonia. He heads off, he comes down to Athens, you know, where the philosophers all live and the Areopagus and all that carry on. Then he heads off over to Corinth, this bustling cosmopolitan trade city down in southern Greece. But what about my babies? What about those churches up north that, that where the gospel took hold, but I wasn't there for very long? And so Paul's got this very strong parental, if you like, concern. He sends his other protege, Timothy, he says, you head back up north. So Timothy goes back up and visits these churches. Paul stays down in Corinth for a long time ministering and preaching and, and, and serving the Lord in Corinth. Timothy comes back and he comes back with... Good reports about Paul's babies. They're actually thriving. These churches are growing and doing well without you, Paul. So we're, because of all these things, we can actually date this letter quite clearly. It's AD 49 or AD 50, about that time. It's one of Paul's very first letters that we have recorded that he wrote to one of his churches to a newly planted church that is growing up in a very hostile environment. And so Paul begins his letter. Oops, wrong clicker. Paul begins his letter. Paul, Silas and Timothy, those three, to the church of the Thessalonians, or to the church of Thessalonians, literally, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To the church. The word there is the word ecclesia in Greek. You may have heard this before. It means assembly. It means gathering. To the gathering of Thessalonians. To the assembly of Thessalonians, of people from Thessalonica in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just an ordinary word, like you might have a 
political assembly, just a gathering. But it's not just an ordinary word here. It's a very special word because this is the gathering in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul addresses them along, you see, with Silas and Timothy. He's not exalting himself as the apostle and them just the helpers. He's not throwing his weight around because this is, let's face it, not his church. It's God's church. And so it is described. Paul and Silas, oh, it's the same verse, to the church of Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, which is outside of our reading today. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. God's church. God's gathering. We're less than 20 years since the death and resurrection of Jesus. Does anybody remember the Sydney Olympics? I saw a sign the other day for the Sydney Olympics. You know, it's about that time away. It's about that same sort of gap between Jesus' death and resurrection and Paul writing this letter to when the Sydney Olympics were on. And I remember it like yesterday. It was a special time. Some of Annie's forgotten it. She's too young. <laughs> I just picked on her because she was smiling. And the church is rooted in Jesus Christ and in God the Father. They're secured by him through the work of the Holy Spirit. This is God's family now in Thessalonica. God creates it. God secures it. God enlivens it. It's God's work. So, what does that mean? It means that Peno is not my church. It means that Peno is not your church. It's not even our church. This is God's church. He creates, he strengthens, he enlivens. And it's no different for any other church. John Piper's church is not John Piper's church. Philip Jensen's church is not Philip Jensen's church. The rector's church, the king's church, is not the king's church. The pope is not the holy father of the church he's not the father god the father because it's god's church god's family and this is god's family universal like god's god's family of all people who follow jesus all over the world but note this it's the church of thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the church is expressed locally. This is God's church of Thessalonians, of people living in Thessalonica who gather in... This is God's assembly of Thessalonians. Every church is a local church. One of the reasons why I have more Baptist convictions is because Baptists are big on local church. Each local church is self-governing. Each local church is that's the church. That's fully the church. This is the body of Christ. And the body of Christ does its own business. Every local church is fully an expression of the local church. And every Christian should have two homes. Every church has two homes. They are in God and they are in the world locally expressed. So if you want to see the family of God, well... Just look around you. This is local church. This is the church of Penno in Pennant Hills this Sunday morning. 
If you want to see God's family, don't look to Rome. Don't look to Canterbury. Don't go to the Baptist assembly and say, well, now we've got God's family gathered. Because here it is, full and complete, the real deal. God's family, God's church in its fullness, expressed locally as every church is. And God's family gets the best because God loves and cares for his family. So Paul has this formal greeting. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace. God's family is founded on God's grace. His first initiative through the cross of Christ in love for us which brings us, through Jesus, peace with God, reconciled, friends of God. But not just peace with God, but peace in trials and trouble because we've got an eternal hope, peace in the wholeness of life, of health and harmony, reconciliation with God and God willing as we follow Jesus' reconciliation and peace with one another. So our church should be one where God's grace is prominent. It should be a community of wholeness, a community of peace, to use the Hebrew word, a community of shalom, of, of just the world being right the way it should be. And so in one sense, there's no greater desire than that we should abound in grace and peace. That's what God wants for us as a community, that we abound in grace and peace. Because we've been created by grace and peace for a greater manifestation or an imperfect yet in this world greater manifestation of grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. And so Paul gives thanks for the Thessalonians. We always thank God for all of you. And we continually mention you in our prayers. I've had this wonderful good report from Timothy. And I was so worried about you, left all alone by yourselves. After I was kicked out. But we're always giving thanks to God. It's right to give thanks. See, Paul and Silas and Timothy laboured. They suffered in Thessalonica. They, they played their part and they sowed the seed. And they've got good report. Hallelujah. You can see them in their prayer time. Thank you, Lord. Timothy's come back. Thank you for them. And we pray for them. And I hope, and I, I've seen it, this church is a church where people labour in Jesus for others. I know imperfectly. But I know that others have laboured to reveal Jesus to you and to share the gospel with you and share their life with you. We've got a lot to be thankful for. All the labours of love, the people who loved you and shared Jesus, we should always thank God. It's for my friends, either, not just for those maybe sitting around you who you know, but for the whole community because we all, we're all one body. We need each other. And this is God's family here. And so the challenge, how often do you give thanks for God's church, this church? How often do you give thanks for Pano? Maybe you're just so aware of the imperfections. Maybe you're just so aware of everybody not doing this for you. I don't know. I get that, right? Because we're all so imperfect. I tell you something. I am so powerfully aware of the imperfections in my family. 
More so than you are. But I wouldn't want to be in any other, I don't want to be in your family. <laughs> it's, it's hard enough in my own. I thank God for my family. I thank God for my parents, for my upbringing. I know, oh, look, thanks to get me started on the baggage. But I thank God for them. And in a sense, the more I give thanks for my family, the more I'm committed to my family, yeah? The more I affirm that I really care for my family. And so can you give thanks for Pano? Maybe some of you do with joy like Tash was sharing earlier. But if you're struggling, you know, a good place to start is to thank God and put yourself in the place of service and gratitude. Because frankly, people have ministered to you in the gospel here. Paul's prayer for the church. Give thanks and then he prays for them. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We have this triad that turns up a number of times in the New Testament, faith, hope, and love. They seem to go together. This, actually, I think Rich in his prayer made mention of this. Or maybe it was Vic, someone earlier mentioned this. These are the characteristics of God's church. These are the family likeness. This is what the family should manifest. Faith, hope, and love. My family, I would say if you came and joined my birth family, you'd find this dry humour. I'd be interested to know what Anna would describe my family as. Dry humour, sort of a looseness. Sort of a, oh yeah, you know, just take it easy, take it easy, take it easy. Crack a joke, crack a joke, very dry. And then a bit of weirdness. And, uh, and just don't go to dangerous places because it can get volatile very quickly. They're my family characteristics. The family characteristics of God's church should be faith, hope and love. Actually, Paul spells it out in more detail. Your work produced by faith. Faith always works. What you believe, if you believe it truly, you will act on. Faith in Jesus will work. And it will do good works. And God has prepared good works for us. Our family characteristic is that we should be working, which means sacrificing because we believe. Because Jesus is Lord and he's loved us so much. We have Labor, here we go, prompted by love. We've had love modeled to us by Jesus, therefore we're working because we're people of sacrifice. We've been loved so deeply we sacrificed in return. It costs us. And what a great thing though to join an assembly, a gathering of people who are founded on love. And who therefore live out love, which is always expressed in sacrifice. Which leads to a bit of sweat and a bit of discomfort, but you're doing it for others and there's joy in that. That's what we're made for. And it's not an endless thing because we have our endurance. Yeah, we keep going, we keep laboring, but it's inspired by hope. No one can live without hope. Uh, the thought of a better future. 
And so we, as those inspired by hope, wait and look for the return of the Lord Jesus and the consummation, the fullness of his kingdom. And we endure, we press on for that day. And we live and serve and sacrifice with joy because it's not pointless. It's not an empty road, a dead end. John Calvin said, Here is a brief definition of Christianity. God's family marked by these three things, faith, hope and love, as we work and sacrifice for others. And so Paul prays, I pray for your peace and for, your, for grace to be fullness full amongst you. I pray that you may know these things in a greater measure, that you are a people who are working out their faith in practice, therefore laboring on in love and living with expectant hope, with joy and purpose. It's wonderful when you're caught up in a work that you believe in and you're making progress and you know it's not pointless. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to finish the day weary after a day of work on something you believe in. That is church. That's what's to be marking us. People who are just joyful in our labor and our sacrifice. It's no wonder Paul gives thanks because though this church is young, they've proven themselves through Timothy's report to be the real deal. This is the family of God. The gospel has taken hold in Thessalonica. I was only there for a little while. They kicked me out. It was horrible, but God's word and the spirit is more powerful. Hallelujah. So, introducing the family of God. Penno. We are an older church. Did you know that? They were a long time ago, but we're, we, this church has been meeting locally here in this space since 1923. We're a much older church. Some of you were here before the Sydney Olympics, for goodness sakes. But we are no different to that church in Thessalonica. Because, you know, the phrase, I love this phrase, same father, same family. Same father, same family. Same Lord, same spirit, same baptism. We are God's family at Pano. You're a part of the universal family of God, but we are locally expressed the full body of Christ in time and space here. And so there's this social aspect inseparably linked to this vertical aspect of relationship with God through Christ, that we might share in God's grace and his peace and know that to the full and called through love and sacrifice with hope to be a blessing to others, a place where relationships are a joy as we sweat together with good purpose. You want to meet the family of God? Let me introduce you. You know what it's like introducing the family? Oh, well, this is um, my daughter Erin and my son Adam. He's in year eight and Adam's in year, would have been year six at that, six at that stage. You know what it's like introducing the family? Let me introduce you to the family. Look, I'll pick on some safe names. Here's Jade. There's Simon. There's Anna. There's Ed. I'm proud of them. They're my family. I love them. They're my family. They're God's family. 
And I'm part of God's family. I could pick on you if you're committed and part of the family here at Pen Oak. You're invited to belong because, of course, you belong in a family. If you haven't got a family, you belong in. It's so sad. It's so wrong. And in this family, as our little picture show suggests, there's a lot more space for imperfect people that we're proud of and that we love. There's a lot more space for people to be loved imperfectly because that's what family's like. But we, we love imperfectly, but we're loved by a perfect saviour. Being transformed for eternity. So let me just read these passages. It's only a short passage. Let me just read it to you again. Paul, Silas and Timothy and to all those who love God's family, to the gathering called Pano, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and we continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. Hallelujah. Your labor prompted by love. Oh, it's such a sweet, sweet thing. And your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So great to belong and to find our place in the family of God. Amen.